World of Blaze Inc. brings you a podcast based on truth, spoken boldly. Join the man on fire, John Sublon, as he takes on issues of faith and culture. Always faithful, always real. This is True Faith, Real Talk, and now the man on fire, John Sublon. Welcome to another episode of True Faith Real Talk. I'm your host, the man on fire, John Sablon of johnsablon.com. And uh, definitely pumped up for today's episode. This uh, is a guest I've been trying to get on for quite some time now. So I'm very appreciative of his time today um, because I know he's a busy man. And I ran into this guest really um, when I was checking out Taylor Marshall's uh, YouTube channel, which most of my viewers, I'm sure, are familiar with Dr. Taylor Marshall and all the things he's doing there. Um, And it was the TNT show. And um, was just really impressed with uh, Dr. Timothy Gordon and all he's got going on. Specifically, I mean, you viewers know how I am. I'm, I'm as the uh, the title of the podcast is True Faith Real Talk. Don't care to mince words. You've seen some of my guests, you know, with the likes of Michael Voris and Jesse Romero and Doug Berry. Um, and now I welcome to the show uh, Dr. Timothy Gordon. What's going on? What's up, John? Great to meet you, man. Yeah, yeah. G- glad to have you on the show. And as we were talking about offline, we. We both reside in the crazy state of California. Um, I'm just uh, about, let's just call it four hours north of you. So I'm super pumped that I got somebody fighting the good fight here in uh, the land of the cray cray. Yeah, but people don't, people outside California, they don't understand that we live in the valley. We're valley rats. They don't know what the heck the valley is. The right. great central valley from basically here, I'm at the very southern end. I'm you know only an hour and a half from LA, mm-hmm. all the way to like San Francisco. People don't know that it's it's still kind of wacky, but it's a more conservative, a much more conservative agricultural version of California. Right. A lot of people, when, when I would talk to Taylor, I think, you know, because I am pretty close to L.A., I'm a lot closer to L.A. than you are. Yeah. He thought it was like la-la land. Now, this is kind of agricultural land here in Bakersfield. We have weird stuff that happens in Bakersfield, like meth production and whatnot <laughs> but it's not it's not the the glitzy uh you know glamorous la scene it's it's a whole different kind of whatever and it is politically kind of conservative so yeah cray yeah. in a different way well it, yeah yeah so i think we're much alike i think um modesto where i'm at in northern california we're about and you know an hour and a half uh, south of Sacramento and about two hours from San Francisco, um, we're we're about a population about two hundred thousand. I think Bakersfield's what about close to four hundred thousand down there. So just kind of, you know, everyone kind of relates everything to California yeah. as like Frisco or L.A. So, um, anyways, I'm I'm just glad you're down there. Once I, when I get a chance to get down there, I definitely would like to hook up with you and just uh, just talk shop and uh, you know sharpen iron, but. Before um, we kind of sure, get into go have a beer or, or four. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. So let's talk about, you know, you're, uh, you've got degrees in, in philosophy, in, in history, in literature, and in law. Um, basically, you're just one smart dude, um, way, way ahead of my pedigree in my brain. Um, but can, can you give my at least viewers uh, kind of a little bit of your background? I know you've authored one book, Catholic Republic, we're talking about. Your, the newly released book or uh, pre-ordered release book of Rules for Retrograde. You've kind of spun off and done your own thing um, with your brother. It's Dave Gordon, right? Um, yeah, Dave. Yeah, Dave. Dave. Little brother. Little bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah. then, and then was it Chris? Chris is the other one, right? Yeah, Chris is kind of an occasional retrograde. He, he started, he's, he's a busy guy too. He does, he actually lives in LA. So he's what everyone's thinking. He does 
Bible studies to the stars. He he's just real busy. He I mean he's incredibly charismatic dude, and you know he's an Angelino and he's just he's like Bible Bible study to the stars. Personal thing. I, I won't even say all the people he's done personal family Bible studies for. Great Catholic dude. You know closer to the the belly of the beast yeah and dave dave's great dave's a theology background chris is a theology background i'm a philosophy background i have uh i'm not actually a doctor i kind of stopped correcting people because i i like them slipping doctor into my pedigree but no i was working i was about to begin the doctorate studying at the pontifical school the greg the first jesuit university in the world in rome when my daughter who you know i've shared the story with people was born out there we were forced back to the states so i'd already had a master's in philosophy and they gave me something called a phl in philosophy and uh then i came back and got a jd in constitutional law and i i had an undergrad degree in literature and history so it kind of rounded me out as humanities man <laughs> uh, just all the humanities degrees i have i'm all probably finished the the phd here before too long but for right now, I'm just just a guy, not a doctor. If you if you can man, believe that, you got your JD, man. That's good enough for me. So um, either way, you got a, you got a, uh, you're a very intelligent man, and I appreciate all you're trying to do for Holy Mother Church and for the culture and society as a whole. I, I need thanks. I need to go to England where barristers, uh, lawyers, actually can be called doctor because it is a juris doctorate. Yeah. So I'd like to, I'd like to I'd like to be called a, a doctor, but here I'd be. Uh, you know, hauled into court for fraud or something if I, if I were. Well, I mean, to... you can just identify as one, right? I mean, at this point where we're at, that would, that would count. Yeah, that's right. I'm transitioning into my life as a doctor. I, I, today I'm feeling doctorish <laughs> and, uh, I mean, maybe even a medical doc, you got a cough or anything. Maybe I'll just start treating <laughs> people. Well, yeah, I'm getting older, brother. So if you could help me out with, uh, you know, helping out the skin or whatever, maybe. Um, so, hey, let's, uh, let's, for it. yeah, let's, <laughs> Let's let's touch on. I know you've already shared your story um, with your with your viewers, but one of the things that um, you know, whenever I bring on guests, if there is a story of either reversion or conversion, can you maybe right. give us the Reader's Digest version, considering time on um, you know your 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 journey back to the church or what your background was? Were you always Catholic? Were you a convert to the faith, and so on and so forth? I'm a cradle Catholic, raised in the '80s and '90s in Catholic schools out here. I was always back and forth between here and Texas because my dad's oil and gas industry. So what that means to have been raised in the 80s and 90s Catholic church is you're a secular humanist. You learned from essentially coloring book um, work workbooks. You're taught by usually a liberal ex-nun who taught you, you know, that, that Adam and Eve were figurative, sin was figurative, mortal sin, hell, all this stuff. And you colored basically for 45 minute classes in your religion classes, scars and eye patches onto all of the, uh, the nerds depicted like rapping about Jesus in some field on like a table sitting like AC Slater. That's what it means to be uh, raised Catholic in the eighties and nineties church. So literally all, all of my friends were in some state of apostasy at all times sometimes right then i kind of i kind of just never believed it uh honestly i was talking to michael knowles about this i just never believed. i mean that's just not believable the way that the faith was presented the people that presented it didn't really believe it they presented it as a kind of symbolic nicety and 
So yeah, it's not it's not that I fell away. I mean, I was raised in that kind of uh, novus ordo seclorum faith. I don't, I'm not talking about the liturgy. Why would you think that? <laughs> I'm just talking about the new world order. I was raised with that as the centerpiece, surrounding uh, surrounded by secular humanism as kind of the focal focal point of that way of life and so yeah so it i don't know whether i'd call it a conversion or a reversion when i realized again from a couple conversations i had with michael Moore, oh my gosh this is all real all the stuff i kind of half heard about and looked into some when i was young was is all real except it's not symbolic that happened mainly for me when i started studying um aristotle and thomas aquinas in in philosophy classes when I decided I wanted to go to Italy to get a doctorate in philosophy, I was there intellectually. I realized this stuff was actually more plausible than not. Atheism's very implausible. It's the last superstition, mm-hmm. as Edward Fazer calls it aptly. But um, I still wasn't there, you know, in, in spirit or whatever. So I was learning all this Thomism, loving it, believing it. But not yet practicing, I still hadn't been, I just still thought that the, even though I'd, I'd gone to some Latin masses and loved that, it wasn't until real suffering came into our lives, my wife's and mine, in the form of terror <laughs> and, you know, going through a couple brain surgeries with our firstborn daughter who was born out there in Italy, that really I brought you know, myself into the fullness of the faith. The Holy Spirit rather brought me into the fullness of the faith. So it's it's a yeah, it's a it's a real thing. You have to make the intellectual and the voluntary conversions, the will and the intellect, and they don't always happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I can relate to those both because I was I was born into the the, the church twenty seven days after I was physically born, not really raised in the faith necessarily. So it's kind of weird to say that you're a revert when you never really were practicing the faith. Right. Um, so it's like almost you are a convert because you, you uh, encountered Christ and you encountered Holy Mother Church and, and fell in with that. Now, it's funny because you speak, right. you speak to two things. One is that into intellectual conversion. Would you say that that was part of it? And um, be, you being a Thomas, I'm a life professed third order Dominican. So, of course, uh, happy belated feast day to us both of St. Yeah. Thomas Aquinas. Um, you too. Yeah, thanks, brother. And, uh, you know, I think about, uh, you know, he talks about knowledge being the primary virtue, right? That because knowledge leads to love. And uh, you, so you think you talked about two things that is kind of counter to what we see in the world, but definitely in, in the church of today. Um, and I don't mean that like the broad Holy Mother Church as that's what it's intended to, but just what we see where we've, we, you know, we're in the first time in American history, we're in a post-Christian era. We see droves of people just leaving the church, especially the Catholic church. And two yeah. things you're talking about is one intellectual conversion and two you came to know Christ through suffering, right? And uh, whereas right now, a lot of people try to separate the gospel from um, suffering, try to separate the, you know, the cross from the glory and the crown. And, uh, right. and, and I, I thought, you know, so can you maybe elaborate just a little bit more on that, that experience that with your daughter, what was it about that, that moment that, that hit, it was the Jesus two by four that knocked you upside your head? Yeah, well, I'll take the second question first. Okay. I mean, I was literally raised in a church, uh, in Novus Ordo Parish, where we had the, the, like, slam dunk Jesus. You know, he wasn't affixed to the cross. And, you know, you, you probably were, too. If you weren't, then you're, 
you know, one of the 30%. And no, I mean, these were very common in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. The, the, the cross has literally been removed from the crucifixion, which is, for some reason, it's central to our iconography as Christians. We're the only faith that knows how to make anything of the problem of evil. It's called the problem of evil. It really is mm-hmm. the problem of suffering. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's like, you know, moronic atheist philosophers ask this question like it's deep, like why do bad things happen to good people? It's, it's not very complex. Sin, right? Yeah, original, original sin. sin. Yeah, original sin. There wasn't going to be a need for an incarnated Savior before Adam and Eve fell. There wasn't need for... Uh, an answer to sin, suffering, sickness, and death, because there wasn't any. And, you know, all that was born when Adam and Eve sinned. So, so quite quite simply, I think, without oversimplifying, it's just Christianity's the one religion that knows what to do with suffering. As I've talked about before on my podcast, I mean, all the other world faiths have a risible with a nod to ecumenism, a risible, laughable answer to the the problem of suffering. Like Buddhism says, you just try to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you do so by essentially nihilism. You try to annihilate all your desires, even the good ones. Almost the polar opposite of Roman Catholicism, which says all of your desires, properly ordered, are actually good. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So, and desire is good because you're desiring God, you're desiring the good through desire. Yes, suffering will come your way. You unite yourself to Jesus on the cross when it does come your way. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, without getting too uh, narrative of voice, just my wife, you know, we have six kids now, but we had uh, none when when Abby came along. She was the first. And it, Steph was perfectly healthy, my wife, mm-hmm. walking every day. She'd been training for the Rome Marathon with me until she got pregnant. It was just a total shock. I'd never had anyone young or anyone I knew, really even middle-aged, get sick. Abby wasn't born sick with like a disease. She had had a, an in utero stroke. And it was just a very stressful next half decade. You know, the first four or five years of Abby's life, being born there in Italy. I spoke Italian. My wife didn't. We are getting separated at the hospitals. You know, she needed a couple brain surgeries right away. She was going to have you know, developmental delays, all that stuff. Every time a doctor would walk into the room, we thought there would be some sort of definitive answer to our question, how's she going to be? I mean, she's like not yet 12, but we looked back and we laughed. So we wanted to know everything. We we thought it was all going to be, we thought doctors could tell us anything, which they, they really can't. They're not prognosticators. But we are so worried that our lives would be altered. And, of course, they were in the sense of Abby, but she's really the household saint. And she really, um, yeah, if I could say Holy Thursday, we went to Mass when she was three. And I was still, I was struggling bad, bad hypochondria. I was balding from the stress. I was in law school because that's what I did when we came home. And having a, a kind of new, still sick daughter in and out of children's hospitals while going to law school is not a good proposition. If you're thinking of doing all these things together, if you're considering them as an option in your life, I'd, <laughs> I'd advise against it. To take, the, take the daughter, try try to avoid the law school. But, yeah, so we went to Mass. Abby spoke only a few words. I'd been advised, um, been given very good advice to pray to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, for fortitude, 
um, because most people skip that, including myself to that point. I did so the night before when I was waking up with panic, anxiety, physical pain. Lots of pain comes from stress. They don't tell you this. Bodily pain. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, less than 18 hours later, we went to Holy Thursday Mass at the beginning of the Triduum, um, then when Abby was 30. And she's literally, um, this is not me, I don't, I don't usually believe people when they say this stuff. She was uh, in a kind of anthemic chant, just repeating in a whisper, Holy Spirit. She could barely even speak. Mm. So, you know, 18 hours later. So that, I mean, it wasn't like a kind of Protestant evangelical moment. I already knew this stuff was the truth. It just was the first extraordinary supernatural thing I'd, I'd ever really experienced. Mm -hmm. And haven't really experienced many since, but the point is, I knew it intellectually, and that, that, that brought me into the fullness of, okay, what, whatever, you know, I'm not just a Thomist, I'm not just Catholic because of Thomas, I'm Catholic because of Jesus, I, I've never expressed it that way, that's probably the moment when I said, I'm, I'm Catholic because of Jesus, mm -hmm. Thomas is maybe the smartest man ever, but I'm a Catholic because of Jesus, he can do this, the, the Trinity can do this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. Thomas can't. That's right. That's right. No, I mean, it's an amazing story. And I think those of us who've experienced those types of personal miracles within our own family or marriage, whatever it may be, um, don't need any further proof of God's existence, um, uh, you know, outside of, of that. So I can definitely, uh, you know, relate and that resonates with me as well. So, yeah. uh, you know, here you are, um, you've got six kids and God bless you for raising a, you know, a good Catholic family. Um, and, and trying to Thanks. do your part. The, um, one of the things I know that's near and dear to your heart is really this, this restoration of, of authentic Catholic masculinity. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about that. You know, I've had other folks on the show talking about the same thing. That's definitely a ministry uh, that's near and dear to my heart, in particular because I was, uh, I was, every, I was a product of the 80s and 90s, like you. Um, I, I don't think we're that far off in age, um, especially just watching some of your shows and especially your last one that you were talking about Kobe and everything else. So we're both yeah. Kobe fans yeah. and Laker fans. Um, RIP. RIP. Yeah. Praying for the repose of their souls and definitely those that, that also perished along with them, but definitely for fellow Catholics. Um, it, it, but it was, I, I grew up and I was a product of my upbringing of the societal pressures. You know, I grew up All my viewers and listeners know about my um, just abusive background, right? So all forms of abuse by age of 10 um, really sought out the culture and what it had, especially me and my two older siblings, um, I'm, a, I'm uh, the middle of five that are alive, two sisters that are in heaven. Um, but the, uh, me and my two older siblings in particular subscribed to what the, the, the culture had to say about dealing with masculinity and all of our pain and suffering and you know, self-medicating and all of that. So as you can imagine, right, it was all about, it was false masculinity. It was right. the, the Homer Simpson environment. It was the Al Bundy of the world. And so I know that's something that's, uh, that, that's part of your ministry, and I don't want to misspeak if it's not, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about, that, about your, your thoughts on the state of masculinity in today's world um, and what we can do to help restore what God has created us men to do as chief protectors, servants, and defenders of all things that are entrusted to us. Well, yeah, the state of masculinity in the world and the church now is non-existent, so it's a non-status. Um, I mean, that's how piss poor it is. It's that bad. I, I've been to so many, through either Catholic schools, attending or teaching, 
seminars where they start out with the right kind of moment and they say, hey, we need to restore Catholic masculinity. We need to resuscitate it. And then they proceed to speak in the same kind of anodyne truisms that got us here in the first place, never addressing the problem. So I'll, I'll do it right now. Um, the, the, the patriarchy is good. The, the Christian order is the patriarchy. It's actually a byword for Christianity. It was a byword for Judaism before Jesus came to earth. The ecclesial fatherhood is a patriarchy, the apostles. And the familial uh, fatherhood, the households, is a patriarchy, right? Households need to be, the, the, the domestic church is what the Pope John Paul II called it. It's led by fathers, you know, uh, just as the the bishops are supposed to be led by fathers, right? There's a kind of effeminate uh, vibe in the episcopate now. That's the main problem there is homosexualism, a kind of effeminacy. The effeminate vibe in the laity, the main problem there is most people have been brainwashed to say this incredibly obviously untrue thing in emperor's new clothes moment like the the mother runs the household or they'll be hanging out with guys me and me and taylor marshall when we became friends just on the phone we were talking about like yeah dude i don't i i mean maybe some good guys have said it because they're influenced too but i don't hang out with guys that say let me go ask my boss right that's not that's not macho false manhood to repudiate that it's literally i'm gonna ask myself right so i mean to to speak bluntly Men need to be virtuous. A lot of these little seminars in Catholic circles will, will tend to that because that's kind of anodyne to say it that way. They need to be chaste, same. You, you'll actually hear that. But women, in terms of what they need to do, um, first off, again, the first part is we need to give them uh, good leaders to, to follow, but they need to be obedient, right? They need to, uh, and they, they want to. This is our nature. We want to lead. Men are trained to lead. Not everyone can be president of the USA, but everyone can be president of his own household. That's why even the cardinal virtues, the four cardinal virtues, all bring a man in the direction of leadership. The four cardinal virtues, same virtues in women, bring them toward fealty or obedience. So even the virtues show up in different ways. Now, so what do we need to do? Here's the politically incorrect part. We need to go back to our own domains, right? Women need to uh, honestly excuse themselves. This isn't going to happen legally, but we need to do it culturally. Excuse themselves from the workplace, sports, uh, the playground. Everywhere you go, as I said in the now somewhat famous interview with Matt Frad, you just hear this kind of false leadership and it's shrill and it's bad and it's emasculating testosterone literally i spoke to a doctor not long ago is at an all-time low since it's been recorded testosterone waxes and wanes based on things like even hearing um, a certain pitch a shrill tone can make your testosterone uh diminish same same thing with not lifting weights being taught to fight you know being manly uh it's a it's a real thing so this is what you're probably not going to hear. Yeah, like men men are born to be leaders, women are not. And the patriarchy is a good thing. Christianity is the patriarchy. It's it's bimodal. There's an ecclesial patriarchy. We're kind of all parish orphans. We don't have episcopal fathers most of us that are doing well by us. But and we most of us didn't have 
familial fathers that were, you know, enforcing church, telling us to go to church, even those of us that did go to church, and even those of us who were co-attended by church by our fathers is usually the mother saying go to church, which is good for her. But the fathers are the ones that were deficient in that duty, much like Adam to Eve. You know, they're just picking up the slack. Men have to lead, women have to follow. Well, you bring up a good point because I've been, uh, I've said this in the circles that I'm in and to a lot of the the different um, venues that I speak to, you know, between retreats, conferences, you name it. And I say we're experiencing, uh, the you know, a father issue, both in the culture and we can see that with the just look at society and the breakdown and the attack on family. And we're experiencing that now in the church. We're experiencing a right. spiritual father wound. And then look at what's happening. You see the destruction right. in both. And, you know, there would be people that, that are going to shy away from, obviously, you being as blunt as you are because um, they don't want to hear the truth. Or, they're, you know, they're trying to, I don't know, maybe make up for the reality that they're faced with, right? Because there's a part of it, I would say, because men have abdicated their responsibilities as being real men and have, have bought into the lies of the culture and all the other, you know, uh, aggressive feminism, all this other garbage that's out there that they, they don't even know how to be a man anymore. Right. Um, and so now it's like, well, what, what do I do? And there's not that, that level of fortitude and courage that's required in order for us to say, look, like I've got a very strong wife. Um, but she realizes we had this discussion, uh, often that the impact and the influence that I had, if I didn't turn my butt around and, and, and own the faith and fall in love with Christ and do what I need to do, None of my three adult children have a shot at practicing the faith. Studies will show that, right? And so it's just like, so right. it may seem a little bit unfair, but like you said, we were designed um, equally equal in dignity, but uniquely in our role in, on this earth. And, you know, that desire to lead. And again, going back to um, the point you made, and I don't know if that was a, a, a reference to Ephesians 5, right? That women could put, you know, be subject to, to husbands as as you know, the church is to Christ, if we're all being Christ-like. And I think I was just, you know, uh, teaching a marriage prep class, talking and breaking it open on the domestic church about we need to be priests of our homes. Um, yeah, a couple, a couple things there. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it's not just Ephesians 5. It's like 15 spots in the New Testament, yeah. all over the Old Testament, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's crystal clear, even if your uh, pastor at church refuses to read those bracketed lines in the missile uh, on Ephesians 5. People just know Ephesians 5. It's crystal clear. There's no debating it. There is even no reasonable opposing position in Jesus' day or the day of the Jews before Jesus. So it's it's a ridiculous proposition. It's not even under question. Men are the, the leaders, right? That's I mean, Jesus didn't even consider like making women priests, bishops, or deacons. Um, no one, He didn't even consider that the women would be household uh, leaders. It's, it's simply and straightforwardly diabolical. Now, you said your wife is strong. The stronger the woman, this is, this is undoing the diabolical, the more obedient she'll be. The weaker the woman, the less obedient she'll be. It's, it's that simple. That's literal. Who's the strongest woman of all time, the best woman of all time? Blessed the most obedient. Yeah, the most obedient woman of all time. Mm -hmm. So people will say, oh, well, what do I do? My, my wife's really strong. She's genuinely obedient to me. And also, there's another fallacy out there. This is one thing. A lot of, because we've been so lied to, this is the final attack by the devil on the church, according to the late, great Cardinal Kafara. He said this in, in May of 2017 before he died at the Rome uh, Life Summit. 
this is it. Feminism is, it's, it's also one of the first attacks. It's the attack on Adam and Eve, right? Mm -hmm. Eve spoke, Adam was just there, whatever, twiddling his thumbs. Mm -hmm. uh, he's supposed to be the spokesman. He's supposed to make the decisions. He's supposed to be the one representing the moral heart of the family. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also the last because feminism has now, aside from Adam and Eve making the ancient uh, preternatural appearance, it's making its most bold appearance in society over the last 50 years. And look what's look what it's done. It's destroyed everything. All of the finest institutions in the world, up and including the one truly sublime institution, the church. Mm -hmm. It's rotting it all from the inside out. It's all feminism. It's the most wicked, diabolic attack in the history of the church. But what I was going to say that's really important is a lot of women or families that are kind of in the process of turning around on this because it's so countercultural mm -hmm. because it's the main wicked force in society worse than any other bad force they'll say oh yeah no okay christian teaching clearly says that i'm writing the book no christian feminism it's done we're waiting for that to come out later in the year with sophia press uh, they're struggling with it because it goes against every impulse that has been inculcated in them. They'll say, okay, yeah, but only if the man's perfect. No, at the Council of Trent in the Catechism, it's crystal clear. Women must obey their husbands, as Ephesians 5 says, in everything except when they're being led directly into mortal sin. So yes, men aspirationally, men need to be as good as they can be, but the, democracy doesn't work. It's the it's Plato, Aristotle, Thomas's form, uh, their favorite form of a corrupt regime. So a democracy between a man and a wife leading the household is ridiculous. You, you know, it's risible. So yes, men decide everything. Of course, as JP2 talked about, the woman is not like a child in the household. She's the consul. She can, she can give uh, uh, a cool, deliberate sense of kind of a committee in a good way. To the man, but if the man says, mm, "Yeah, I, I liked getting your input on that, but no, I'm not going to do it." This is what should be happening a lot. That's final, right? The fact that we even have to be talking about this, John, yeah. shows how um, just hamstrung society is. Worse than hamstrung, hobbled, right? We can't even put weight on our legs. Like we can't even make. You go to the store. You just all I hear anywhere I go into public is just women kind of running the show or hollering at their husbands or men are, it, it's absolutely diabolical. Men do not need to be perfect to be leaders any more than men who are bishops need to be perfect to be good bishops. They need to be good enough and not leading their families into mortal sin. Anything else besides leading into mortal sin, they need to be obeyed. Direct uh, reflection of obeying Jesus for a woman or, or a child Obey your father. Obey your husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's some work to be done there, obviously, just because of where we are in the state of the culture and the church. And I would say for uh, the listeners out there, because, you know, that's good. That makes people uncomfortable, bottom line. And, you know, we can we can. Good. Yeah. I mean, it should. You're paying attention. Right. I mean, yeah. bottom line is what we're doing isn't working. You know, it hasn't worked. Um, and we see that people are, I mean, souls are being lost because of it. families are being destroyed because of it. The church is suffering because of it. And, you know, I, it's. I would call the men and challenge them that you should be strive, you know, uh, even though what you're saying there, Tim, is like, you know, they they don't need to be perfect. I'm like, you better be striving for perfection. I mean, you know, on the on the on the heels of just losing one of the greatest basketball players to ever live. When you talk about how he was, um, you know, 
so determined to be perfect in his craft and all of the things that he did. It's like, we need to go to work at virtue that way. Right. And we need to go to work at leading our families to holiness. So that's the thing that for me as a man who used to be the example of what not to be, you know, cause that's what was handed down to me. Like I've had that, that conversion in my life. I've experienced the miracles in my life and my marriage and my family. I'm like, I'm a no nonsense guy. I'm a soldier for Christ and I'm willing to die for him. So every day I'm going to go after and attack vice and, and, and cultivate virtue in my life. And so that's what, like the message to the men out there. Women are going to, it's going to be a way easier for a woman to obey, honestly, when the man's trying to be Christ-like. That's the reality, right? So even though the, what you're saying, Tim, is like, yeah, you know, that's, and we hear that in scripture. We know that's the, the teaching of the church. We understand the order, the hierarchy that God has created. But man, if we just do our jobs, if Adam just does what he was charged to do, you know, to till and to keep and the original sense and de- definition of the word, then everything falls in line, you know, um, everything just falls in line. So I know there's a l- Sure. Yeah. Though to, to avoid the, uh, remember, there's nothing, this is kind of like saying, Absolutely. I mean, we, in the feminism book that I just completed when my brother turned in the manuscript, mm-hmm. uh, I wrote the chapter on manly virtue, how to do it, how to re- return to it. But again, I just where I where I recoil, and I'm not saying you were doing this, but yeah. a lot of a lot of people kind of were when I talked to Matt Fry, when I talked to um, Trent Horn, they were they're kind of recoiling. The, you literally see as further evidence of the feminism in society, the fact that people are getting uncomfortable and they're saying, well, let's just take it all on our shoulders. Let's take all the blame. It's like, no, I mean, men can take the blame and say, yeah, I mean, dude, men are pathetic now. Their, their testosterone's low. They're addicted to pornography. That we, I can talk all of the patheticness of men, but we need to talk about the patheticness of modern women too. Mm-hmm. We need to do both together. Yep. And men being bad leaders and really ultimately it's kind of their fault ultimately original sin is kind of the fault of adam not eve so that that kind of people people breathe out okay you can't say anything negative about women but no women being shrill trying to a lot of women even if they have good men this is the reality are fighting for it because they've been inculcated with it every day of their lives so it doesn't i i do recoil a bit when you start saying because I know some good men that are even st- still kind of struggling, very meritorious men that deserve the throne of household fathership. Yeah. Um, I do think uh, I do think it takes both. And so I, I would I would agree with you. And yeah. to kind of put the flesh to the bone on this, Doug Barry and I did a woman session when he came out here. We just had um, him and Jesse Romero and I did the, a men's conference in November for our Apostle yeah. World of Blaze, and we did a women's session to talk about. Um, to, to bring up all of these issues. And I remember having a, an, an after, you know, there's over 200 women that were there had obviously a lot of interest in, in two guys trying to tell them what it's like, you know, uh, about feminine, you know, feminine genius, if you will. And one of the women flat yeah. out admitted, flat out admitted, she was just like, you know, trying to figure out the role with her and her husband. And she at least right. came to the realization. She says, you know what? I don't let him lead. And I said, boom. That's the problem, right? So here we have this struggle with the men right. being, you know, emasculated, and we got to own that, and we got to figure that piece out. But you're not helping when you're, you're all of a sudden stepping into that role, and maybe justified in the sense because he hasn't been doing a damn thing, right? So it's that struggle that, so I, get, I hear what you're saying, but it is that struggle, right? That because if we stepped out of the gap, women try to fill that gap, whether they're doing it with good intentions or because they've been, you know, have been lied to and have bought into the lies of the, of the culture, then it's yeah. like, then, it's like we're, then we see that struggle now. 
I think that's that's the part where I, I would see it. But no, that crystallized it for me because the gal was like, bottom line is like, I'm not even letting him lead, huh? I'm like, nah. So you look, power go ahead. power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, like Lord Acton said. So and nature despises a vacuum. I'm speaking in two platitudes, but they're both true. <laughs> so what happened, sure, men left a kind of vacuum of power at all levels of society, the cell of society, the household. Mm-hmm all the institutions in between now the state and women rushed in and and took the power but what i mean just do basic human psychology for people out there scratching their heads Mm -hmm. now they're in those posts women got into the workplace women started pretending they were fathers at home as mothers they started pretending they were um born to lead and they got a taste of the power and now like and yes that that ultimately is when you're in charge the way men are everything's your fault in an ultimate sense, so I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I'm not, this isn't a pro-man session. Men are ultimately the most pathetic in this. But I'm just women are definitely not off the hook because it's such a common problem. Now they've got a taste for the power. They like it. Even good Catholic women, because I do, I do conferences too. I give this talk everywhere. Mm-hmm. People DM me t- to the tune of five a day, ten a day. They're like, yeah, I'm doing this. Or some of them will fight me, and they'll be like, yeah. You're kind of right about the doctrine, but I like the, I mean, some will outright admit it. It's all around. It is the water we're swimming in, the dirty water we're swimming in. So the first rule of feminism, by the way, is never allow someone to say a negative thing about any woman, right? Um, And so that's why everyone, and people don't know these rules because they're presupposed. They're not supposed so everyone gets uncomfortable. They start squirming in your seat. We're like, oh, that woman's bad, and she's bad. I mean, you could say that about a man all day long. That dude's bad, man. What, what an idiot. But you say that about a woman, like, oh, man, she's really bad. She needs, okay, give her a dressing down or whatever. People just can't handle it. They, they've all received the cues from these deciders who decided on the sexual revolution, and they put it into everything, commercials, home products commercials, TV shows. It's always a fat sluggard of a husband and a a keen chipper bossy officious wife that's that's pretty smart with a stupid homer simpson husband it's it's in everything Mm -hmm. we have to we have to resist it no one's going to represent our rights but us Mm -hmm. so let's talk about that as as we kind of wrap this up because i know we are uh you know good on time here um as far as uh just respecting your time um you said you got the you got a couple of books coming out so you've got the rules for retrograde so those i know you I, we can see the uh the the what am i looking for here the logo right behind you well, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, logo yeah. right yeah, behind your head the, yeah. it's off of your youtube channel right tim so is it is it your youtube yes. channel yes sir okay. yeah me and my brother share we okay. put it in my name yeah. uh, coming off of tnt yeah okay so it's the but it's how do they find that is it is it tim gordon or timothy gordon is the youtube channel yeah, just okay. Timothy Gordon. Okay. If you search Timothy Gordon, a lot of people still haven't found me after leaving the the TNT show, which was a sensation. Just search Timothy Gordon, and you'll you'll run into or rules for retrograde rules for, for that. Yeah, rules for retrograde. So um, yes, encourage everyone out there to go check out um, there. You guys are doing what three shows a week now, Tim? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. And then let's talk about the book. The pre order is live now. Um, you got the forward written by Michael Knowles. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, the, the, the Rules for Retrogrades is not only the name of the show, but it's kind of the name of the brand. It's our, our book. It's with Tan. Michael Knowles wrote it because it's really a, 
reversal of Saul Alinsky in, in Michael Knowles's words. You know, he's he Saul Alinsky's looking up from the afterlife. I like that. Uh, you know, seeing that now all these boomer rules, you know, the, the, the baby boomers are really the generation of the radicals. Mm-hmm. They capitulated to radicalism, even if they weren't radicals. And it's all, we're, 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 gonna, we're undoing it all. And again, it's all very specific uh, attacks, the way that Rules for Radicals, the book by Alinsky's specific attacks on pop psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've heard kind of our, our approach. It's, no, no, we're not, it's not all nice stuff. A lot of it's, okay, here's an attack plan. Here's how you do this stuff. A lot of it's uh, fusty. And it's 40 rules, whereas you only get 14, I think, if you, you read Solinsky's book and it's how to undo everything to restore patriarchy how to restore order how to restore um faith hope and charity beauty goodness and truth uh you know christendom how to bring it all back and again it's not just platitudes kind of like i mean what i'm telling people is it's the equivalent of this is not going to be going to a restore masculinity conference where we don't say anything that'll make even the conservative catholics uncomfortable we're like no, we're giving you specific attack plans to retake the culture. It's it's sufficiently specific as to make even conservatives uncomfortable with <laughs> this stuff will work. And uh, you know, if if uh, if homosexuals go into a, a Christian little baker's bakery shop and make them and this is kind of outmoded now, make them bake them a pro gay marriage cake, then find your local homosexual baker and go into their cake shop and make them uh bake you a cake that says marriage is between a man and a woman right we need to be christians need to be thinking more like soldiers or more like intel officers um this is the only way to win the culture war it's not just by being a bunch of nerdy ned flanderses we've we've been told that i think it is a part of an infiltration operation Mm. you know Mm -hmm. taylor marshall would tell it that way Mm And oh, Christians just have to be nerds. It's like no, that's not that's not what I'm going to do. We have to be. That's how the United States wins wars. Is you gotta when you're going to go to war, you go Roman. Mm. It's the main idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think there's that there's that thought out there to to your point you just try to make about that false charity and false humility. Right? We're supposed to be doormats to be Christian or something, or you know, um, you know, there's a part where we've got to we've got to wage war against evil. I mean, we're we're in we're in this time. You know, there is this is a time and a generation and an era, both in the culture and in the church, where saints are going to be made. And if you're not doing the, the, the right. you're not in training, you don't have a battle plan, then, uh, you know, you're going to be part of the problem. You're going to be part of the casualties. And, you know, I would say not on my watch, brother. So I would encourage everybody right. out there to uh, go and check out um, Tim and his crew doing Rules for Retrograde on their YouTube channel. Um, definitely uh, take a look at the book that's coming out there. That's going to be a battle plan for you, how to get involved, um, you know. And if, if, you're, if you're bothered by, by some of this conversation, good. That means you're paying attention, right, that you need to wrestle with it because I think um, Tim seems right. – the, the Tim I've least witnessed is, is – um, and, you know, and your brother and Chris and everyone that's involved are – you guys, you guys love God. You love the church to a point where you're going to speak some of these um, unpleasant trees on people's ears and you're willing to have dialogue about it. So, um, which is, you know, you see that, saw that with you with Matt Frad and, and Trent Horn. Um, so anyways, brother, I really appreciate your time. I know um, you're busy doing you a lot of things. Um, definitely uh, you'll be, you and your family, um, most importantly, are going to be in my prayers. So I hope everything goes well with you guys for the rest of 2020. And God bless you and the work that you're doing for God and for the church. 
You too, brother. Thanks for your time and thanks for your prayers. Great, great ministry you got here. It's good to know there's at least you know one other guy in the great Central Valley doing doing some Roman Catholicism. Yeah, yeah and of course, remember everybody loved the truth. The truth is a person. Jesus came not to bring peace, but a sword in his own words. Amen. So, yeah, if I Luke 12, 49, our apostle, right? I came to set the earth on fire and how I wish it was already blazing. Boy, that's, that's a, right. that's not a message for us. So to, yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's, that's what we live in the world to blaze and Veritas as a, as a, another fellow Thomas here. Um, we gotta, we gotta seek truth above all things, most especially in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So brother, God bless you. And, uh, until next time. You too, brother. Peace. True faith, real talk. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show. Continue the conversation online. Visit johnsublon.com. Until next time, get holy or die trying. Godspeed. Godspeed.